This episode of the Business Samurai Podcast is brought to you by Lamar Marie Popcorn. You can get now one bag and get a second bag for half off with the code BARKER at checkout. So if you like your snacks a little sweet, a little salty, a little mixture of both, go check out LamarMarie.com and all of the flavors that they have for your next snacking sensation. That is LamarMarie.com with code BARKER at checkout for buy one, get one, half off. You are listening to the Business Samurai Podcast. Growing a business is hard work. The faster you grow, the harder it is to keep yourself on the right path. Welcome to the Business Samurai Podcast, where we break down the fundamental skills necessary to become a well-rounded leader as you continue to conquer the world in your business. The best business-related podcast as you captain your own destiny and rise above the noise. To help your growth strategy in simple terms you will understand, you will learn the best metrics to track, how communication is the lifesaver when it comes to business, and how good policy will fix the weak link when it comes to cybersecurity. People, listen in on conversations with world-class business leaders and how they manage growth and integrate the latest technology. We will deconstruct their processes on how they choose to advance themselves, their team, and customers. You are stepping into a world of proactive business with your host, John Barker. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Business Samurai Podcast. Got another fantastic episode for you today. With me is Morris Turek. He is my trademark attorney. And actually, if you go to yourtrademarkattorney.com, he can be yours as well. Morris is helps entrepreneurs, businesses, and organizations avoid the devastating and disastrous effects of being sued for trademark infringement. He does this by clearing and protecting the names, logos, and slogans they use to advertise and sell their products and services. His practice is devoted exclusively to trademark matters, including trademark search and clearance, federal trademark registration with United States Patent and Trademark Office, trademark registration, maintenance and renewal, trademark opposition and cancellation matters, and general brand protection and enforcement issues. Morris has been practicing trademark law since 2005 and has had his own trademark law practice since 2009. You, as mentioned before, you can learn a whole bunch more about Morris by going yourtrademarkattorney.com. And I kid you not, before we jumped on, Morris doesn't know I did this. I actually just Googled trademark attorney. And he's like four or five on the list of the main page, oh, just wow. by using the generic term. And and you got your ads, but then Morris is right right there on the first page. So oh, I must be doing something you're, right. Thank you. You you are absolutely doing something right. I was just curious. I, I was curious with the domain. Morris, thanks for taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So what did I miss in the bios? Or anything? Any 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 notable things that I've missed? I don't think so. I think that's pretty much, that pretty much covers it. I'm a trademark Sounds attorney good. here in St. Louis, but I, I serve right. I serve businesses and entrepreneurs located all over the world. So you know, I've seen a lot of Law and Order, Law and Order SVU, but I haven't seen Law and Order trademark attorney. No. So <laughs> what, <laughs> that would not be a very interesting episode. <laughs> well, I guess that, that's what <laughs> kind of curious. What what was the uh, uh, the drive, what was the niche to get into that? Cause I, you know, I know a lot of criminal defense attorneys. I know civil, you know, your family attorneys and things of that nature, but what was the uh, interest in, in uh, trademark? Well, um, I, I fell into it. Um, I was working at a law firm in Illinois uh, as a law clerk during my second year of law school. Um, the summer after my second year of law school, I was working as a law clerk at a small law firm in Illinois doing class action litigation, which was terrible. Um, but, you know, it was good legal experience. And um, I actually started dating a girl uh, named Karen. 
and it's always it's, it's always female, it's a, man. yeah that's yeah I can, this is this is i mean hey it's it, it all worked out you know <laughs> but uh well not with karen but it all worked out for my career uh so, <laughs> uh, so i uh through karen i met another trademark attorney i met a trademark attorney named annette who is karen's aunt and um while I was working at the at the law firm in Illinois, Karen's aunt contacted me and asked if I would do some research for her on a project she was working on. And she would pay me and just do a little research on the side. I did. And then she asked me um, to do another project during the summer, which I did as well. And then after, uh, after the summer and starting my third year of law school, she asked if I wanted to um, become a law clerk for her and learn trademark law. And I said, well, I hate what I'm doing at this law firm now. So <laughs> it sounds good to me. And so uh, that's how I fell into trademark law. So I started working for her a few days a week after classes. And um, that's how I learned it. And that's how I fell into it. Gotcha. So so in your law school days, is there is there like general courses that no matter what type of legal profession you're going into, everybody, everybody takes and then you pick kind of pick a niche? Or was this something that was totally like on the job uh, type of on the job training? Well, during the first year of law school, you're required to take certain classes, none of which are trademark law, very general classes like property, criminal, constitutional, things like that. Um, after your first year of law school, you can you have more um, leeway on what you want to take. I did take trademark law. I also took copyright law as well. Um, but I took trademark law after I had started working with Annette already. And okay. so I was, I sort of had a, a one up on everybody <laughs> in that class because I was getting actually practical experience and I kind of understood what was going on. In fact, I ended up getting the highest grade in the trademark class and got a little, I <laughs> uh, got a little, I forget what they call it now, but it's a little award you get at the end of the semester for having the highest grade in the class. But I felt like, I felt like it was a fraud because I had, <laughs> I was, I was, you know, I had so much more experience than anybody else in the class. So. Okay, but you weren't like teaching the teacher at that point. I, I was not <laughs> teaching the teacher, no. <laughs> but it was, um, but it was, it, it did give me a really, really nice foundation for the class. It was, it was great. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I imagine. So, so how how often? You know, we every year, you know, I keep a track of like state laws, and you know, you know, hey, we've got new motor laws, we got stuff like that. How often this trademark and copyright law actually get updated? Is that is it frequently reviewed like other areas? Um, it does. I mean, I wouldn't say, I would say law in, in a lot of different areas is fairly slow to change. Um, recently though, there has been a lot of, um, Supreme court, U S Supreme court decisions in the trademark and copyright fields. Uh, for example, just a couple of years ago, there was a case having to do with the, um, um, an Asian music, uh, musical band called the slants. And, um, it was basically about whether the trademark office could constitutionally prevent the registration of trademarks that are seen as disparaging of a group of people. This oh. Asian band wanted to register the name the Slants, and you know Slants is sort of a derogatory name yeah. for Asians, um, and they were initially refused. They went all the way up to the Supreme Court on this, and um, they got the law to change. Uh, the Supreme Court, um, you know, knocked down the the prohibition against. The registration of disparaging marks, um, and there's been a number of other uh, trademark um, cases as well. Um, the Booking.com case, which was very recent, um, ruled that a, a name plus the .com is not necessarily generic. So, like now, it may be possible to register things like Law.com or Computer.com if it's you know, whereas before you couldn't, and so that's been a change in the laws as well. 
and uh, I'm simplifying that, but yeah, there's sure. been, um, but there's, uh, yeah, there's been some changes. In fact, just yes, just yesterday, there was a copyright case out of the Supreme Court um, about trade, about copyright registration and about what, what happens if there's a mistake on the copyright registration and, um, you know, is the copyright registration still enforceable? So yeah, it so things things are happening. Things are and Those happening at the highest. The news. <laughs> so, yeah, right, right. Now there's a lot of there's a lot of trademark litigation because you know it's a bunch of businesses fighting over stuff. You know there's a lot of trademark litigation. Most of that never gets to a decision, and most of it certainly never gets appealed, where you get like a reported decision on a you know interesting point of law. But yeah, there's there's plenty of litigation, and, and laws do change. Um, more so um, with trademark registration, the procedures have changed a lot. Sort of the ways to challenge trademark applications and registrations have changed. There's, there's new um, procedures called expungement and reexamination that were just put into effect this year um, that have um, opened up um, some more avenues for attorneys to challenge uh, app, uh, registra- trademark registrations that may be, that may be fraudulent or um, un, un, uh, improperly issued. So, yeah, there's there's lots of different things. In fact, one of the more recent ones, too, about foreign foreign entities. If you're not located in the United States, the trademark office just uh, a couple of years ago made a rule that says you have to use a U.S. attorney. You can't do it yourself anymore. You have to use a U.S. attorney, which, of course, now opens up a nice chunk of business for U.S. attorneys. So (laughs) I'm not complaining. (laughs) Like somebody that happens to be on the homepage of Google. (laughs) Uh, If it's going to benefit, I mean. If it's just going to benefit me, I mean, I'm not going to not going to say no. But you know, it's been a nice, um, you know, especially like out of Canada and Australia and the UK. Sure. You know, because you know, with Amazon and all these other online platforms, it's easy for these people to sell in the United States. I mean, it's a huge market, and now they want to protect their trademarks and their brands in the United States. And here I am, ready to help. Gotcha. How often, speaking of going in the Supreme Court, how often do these in, in infringement cases actually go to like, I don't know if they go to like jury trials or or things of that nature, how that process works? Is that is that frequently that happens? Is there there's some risk reward metric that goes, hey, we, we're going to really push the button on these guys because they're selling our logo on on something else. I imagine it's probably the bigger the company, but how often does that happen? Yeah, I mean, like every other area of law. Most litigation never goes to decision, never goes to trial, no you know, never because number one, it's very expensive. Number two, you know, litigation is very uncertain. You know, you might think you have the best case in the world, but who knows what a jury is going to do or a judge is going to do. Um, and plus, you know, you don't, you know, sometimes, you know, usually these trademark disputes and copyright disputes, I mean, these are really just business disputes. And do you want a judge or a jury of 12 people who don't even understand your business necessarily um, making the decision? No, you'd rather have the two business people kind of come into some kind of agreement, you know, some kind of compromise. Um, so yeah, very <laughs> a tiny percentage <laughs> ever go to a decision, and then even gotcha. a, and then even a smaller, like an, an infinitesimal n- number, go to appeal, and that's where all the action is. Is really on the appeals, very small amount. I don't I don't know how much this is going to be completely off the wall, and I'm by no far an expert. Uh, but ha- have you been tracking what's going on with the NFTs, the non-fungible tokens? Um, I, I'll lead it with that before I go into a secondary where where my question, my real question yeah. is at. I'm not going to lie. I'm not really up to date on NFTs, though. My associate, Kevin, is um, a little more into it. And he's um, he's sort of teaching me a little bit more about it, which is good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's huge. Um, actually, a case has been recently filed by... Um, 
I don't know how you say it, Hermes or Hermes, H-E-R-M-E-S. It's like the fashion brand. They the, big, recently, the expensive, expensive yeah, fashion yeah, brand. The big yeah, luxury brand. They just <laughs> yep. filed a suit recently against somebody who has, who's been using and created a whole bunch of NFTs with having to do with one of their bags, Birkin, Birkin. I'm not sure. I know. Maybe somebody out there knows what I'm talking about. But, they sell uh, t-shirts for like 500 bucks. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't... Um, I, you know, I would I would never know anything about this, but, but anyway, but yeah, but it's it's getting big, right? Because now 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 it's like you're not even now these now these brands, especially these well known brands, now they have to protect their trademarks against, you know, virtual goods, me- metaverse things. You know, again, I'm not right. versed I'm not versed in the metaverse, but um, yep. I, I but you know these are all things I'm going to have to learn about as they become more and more prevalent. So and and, and I guess that goes into. Where where I was thinking where this where you see this could head because people are able to sell a share in in a in quite frankly it could be a share of their brand you know one of some of the stuff that I'm hearing about is you know we're seeing everybody buying these NFTs of the monkeys or whatever mm-hmm. but you're, you're going hey I've I've copyrighted this I've trademarked this but at the same time I'm going to flip it into an NFT so you and, and and sell somebody the rights to that I don't know how the level of complication from a legal perspective that may, well, it probably is starting to turn into that now, but could, could really explode over the next, uh, next several years. Yeah. It's, this is going to, this is going to be huge, you know, as well as like things like cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a big one now. Um, and lo- lots of other different, um, areas, you know, that are, that are starting to really, um, grow. There's a lot of intersection, you know, from what I can tell, um, between trademark, copyright, NFT, you know, these virtual goods, you know, and they're all they're all going to kind of play together. I did recently just see a, a news article. I think it was on, I was watching TV. I think I saw it on Fox News. It was just a story yesterday about a, the, somebody was killed. Um, it, the, the killing of somebody was streamed online. It was a, it was a young woman. And, um, the father of the victim is trying to get the media to stop playing this footage. Now, the the father is not the owner of the footage of the video. Right, he didn't shoot the video. Somebody streamed it. Whoever streamed sure. it is on, is the owner. Whoever he sold it to, but it's not the father. And there's and then so he was talking about how he was speaking with some legal counsel, and he, instead he wants to try to make an NFT out of this video in order to try to prevent its. Um, broadcast and dissemination. Now, I didn't really understand it because, well, if he's not the copyright owner, how can you make just an NFT out of something you don't even own? Right. I didn't I didn't quite understand that. And maybe somebody out there can explain this to me. But it was interesting how they're trying to use NFTs to try to circumvent somebody's copyright in this footage. That And that's uh, something I had been thinking about going, even with, even with what I've been doing with you, with the business samurai logo and the, and the name together going, what really is, what would really stop somebody that got creative and said, Hey, it's, that's kind of cool looking or whatever. Or I want to screw with somebody. And they go through the minting process, I believe is the term and, and turn it into, uh, you know, that, that fungible token. What is to stop somebody from doing that? And then you get a dispute outside of me going, Hey, Morris, man, you got that. Half- <laughs> Where's that stuff on the, on the U S website that I can go. No, 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 no. I did this like three years ago. 
you know, I, I'm wondering where that intersection is going to be. Yeah, it's, I think it's brand new. I don't think anybody really knows, you know, and, and until we start getting cases filed and decisions um, from judges and juries, and especially those that are appealed, um, we're not really going to have a lot of answers. Um, certainly, this isn't going to, I think it's unlikely that this stuff is going to happen to sort of the quote unquote, the run of the mill trademark, sure. because like, what's the value? But like, I think- right. I think luxury brands, uh, you know, very well-known brands, famous brands. Yeah, I think they're going to run into a whole bunch of it. I mean, like I said, Hermes is already um, running into problems. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's going to be interesting. And also from the, you know, you just see the way the political process works. I mean, you got a, a lot of aging lawmakers that may be going, what is this? <laughs> um, having watched enough congressional testimony in my life to go, all right, dude, you're talking about an iPhone as you're flashing around your Android. <laughs> yeah, don't I, have mean, a, I don't have a lot of hope for uh, blockchain technology. Yeah, but I tell you, it, it is very interesting. And like I said, my my uh, my associate who's younger than me, he's like seven or eight years younger than me. He's kind of getting more into it. So he's like I said, he's kind of educating me on it, which is which is nice. Cool. All right, well, let's uh, you know shift gears a little bit. So somebody, somebody's got an idea or they did like, just in point blank, I, I sit there and had an idea. I had read a book that's like you, everybody should have some sort of uh, something that they can trademark. And it was the, from a consulting standpoint, that was something that they could lay back on. I can't remember the reasoning. I had read that years ago. Uh, but when, you know, when should a company reach out? with something that they've developed and go, Hey, I really need to get, look into getting, you know, some protection behind this, uh, my brand. Mm -hmm. You know, well, you know, just to kind of give some background, obviously trademarks are brands, right? Trademarks are names or logos or slogans, um, that are used in connection with the advertising and sale of products or services. Mm -hmm. And really every, unless you're using a completely ger generic name, like you run a pet store and you called yourself pet store, um, if you did that, you know, then you don't really have a trademark, but right. most people don't do that. Most people come up with some cool little name for their business or their, whatever their organization, whatever it might be. So everyone's got a trademark. The question is, you know, does, when, when does it come time to want to register it federally, protect it federally and, and registering that trademark with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, the USPTO gives the owner of the trademark, the exclusive nationwide right to use that mark um, in connection with the products and services that are listed in the trademark registration. Um, so somebody who might only, let's say, for example, let's say somebody has a restaurant and they call it ABC Restaurant. <clears throat> Terrible name. Hopefully nobody did that. But, you know, <laughs> let's say there is an ABC Restaurant and they're just operating in, say, in St. Louis, Missouri. Without a trademark registration, their rights will extend to the St. Louis metro area, essentially, right? Um, however, if you get the trademark registration, if you register the ABC restaurant federally with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, then your rights now have expanded throughout the nation, not just St. Louis. What does that do? It blocks other people from using a similar name for similar services anywhere in the United States. And if they do, then the owner of the trademark has the legal ability to stop that infringement. So that's the power of the registration. So when do you want to get the registration? Well, um, there are business considerations and there are legal considerations. Let me talk about the legal considerations first. Legal con the legal consideration is you want to file 
as early as possible with the trademark office because the day you file is the day that you reserve the exclusive right to use the name. So if you wait, it's possible that somebody else might file a trademark application for a similar name for similar products or services, which would then exclude you from using your name for your products and services. So from a legal perspective, it's really good to file as early as possible, even even before you start using the name, because you can file a trademark application on an intent to use basis to reserve the name. It doesn't have to be in use yet. Which is what I did. <clears throat> which is which is what you did, right. And which is what I'd say 80% of my clients do. The, the intent to use system is is great. It's great for businesses. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Now, um, from a business consideration, well, now we're really talking about is my business even going to be successful? Am I even, even am I even intending to operate outside of my local area? Like if I'm a gardener and I only provide gardening services in my local area, I don't think it's probably worth getting a trademark registration. What do you need it for? You know, you have your little you have your little rights in St. Louis, Missouri, and you're fine, right? Um, but if you if you if you sell products, um, and that you could sell those products on Amazon and anywhere else, and they could be shipped anywhere in the country, then I think getting a trademark registration early makes sense. Now, maybe now from a business consideration, maybe your product is going to be a dud, right? So now you start selling these products, you're not making any money, and now you spend money on a trademark application that isn't going to go anywhere because you're going to fold your business. So what do you need the trademark registration for? Nothing. So that's, you know, so it's kind of like you're kind of balancing the legal and the business considerations. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Uh, what for for people not familiar with it? What you know in a condensed form? What is the process like to go to to go register? Um, well, the first thing we generally recommend doing is performing a search on whatever trademark it is that you want to register, some kind of name or slogan or tagline or something like that. We we would generally want to do a federal. A uh, comprehensive federal trademark search on the name to check for conflicts or issues uh, that would prevent the successful registration of the mark. Um, and that search is, you know, we usually have that kind of those kinds of results in about a week. Um, and then based on those results, if the trademark um, looks clear, then we can file a trademark application with the, with the USPTO, and that reserves it as of the date of the filing. Now it's going to take. The entire registration process is probably going to take over a year and, and sometimes quite a bit longer than a year, um, depending on a lot of different circumstances. But again, all of your rights date back to the filing date of the application. So let's say it took three years to get a trademark registration. All of your rights date back to the very the day you filed. And if anybody started using a similar trademark for similar products or services during the pendency of the application, then that person would be an infringer and you could stop that that infringement. Got, yeah. Yes. And I and I, I remember when we were talking back, I, I want to say the initial kickback for me was about 18 months, I believe. What are some of the that, that I'm guesstimating because it's been it's been no. long enough now. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. But what what are some of the extenuating circumstances? Why does that process take so long to hear back from from them? Yeah, well, there was in your case, there was a little bit of a wrinkle. But generally speaking, um, it takes a, right now it's taking the trademark office about seven or eight months to even look at your application. Okay. Okay. Now, once they look at it, let's say everything's good. They didn't. They do their own search. They didn't find any conflicts. Then it goes through what's called a publication period, which is a thirty-day period where anybody can challenge the application or oppose it. Uh, assuming nobody opposes it, then it goes to the next phase. 
if the trademark application was filed on an in-use basis, meaning that the trademark was already being used at the time you filed your application, then the registration issues. But if it if it wasn't being used at the time you filed the application, then what's what's called the notice of allowance issues. And then you have to show use of the mark to get the registration. And you have six months from the notice of allowance date to show use. And if you can't show use in those six months, you can get an extension for another six months. And you can actually get up to five extensions, six months each. So you can actually hold the trademark application open if you wanted to for like four or five years from the date that you file, if it's an intent to use application. Now, what are some of the extenuating circumstances that makes that process even longer? Let's say you get a rejection. Like, let's say the trademark office reviews your application and says, hey, we think there's a confusingly similar trademark that's already registered. Well, then if the owner of the application wants to um, try to argue around that rejection, argue against it, then we can prepare and file a response. Of course, then that takes time. And then it takes the trademark office time to review that response. And so that, that makes the process longer. Another thing that would make the process longer is if somebody challenges the application opposes it. Or if somebody uh, in your case, uh, John, what happened with you is that someone actually filed an extension of time to oppose your application, um, if I remember correctly. And it's something like that. Yeah, it's, something it's like that. It's been so long now. Yeah. I, just, I, I, I remember something weird. Somebody filed an extension. So they, so they were considering, somebody else was considering opposing, but chose not to. So they kind of stopped your application. I think it was for like 90 days. And then they decided not to file an opposition, and then your application went through the process. So that 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 delayed it by another ninety, one hundred and twenty days. <laughs> so yeah, so those are the kinds of things that make thing make the process longer. But again, people kind of get hung up on like, oh my god, this is taking so long, blah 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 blah. It doesn't matter how long it takes from a legal perspective. It could take ten years. All of your rights are going to date back to the filing of the application. In fact, I had a client recently whose application has been put on hold for a number of reasons. I won't go into it, but for a number of reasons, it's been on hold for five years, over five years now. Wow. Um, and it's just the way the process works. Uh, there's, there's not When this happens, there's not a lot we can do. We sort of have to just play the waiting game. But it all worked out at the end. Excellent. So okay, we go through the process. You, you get approved. It's in use. What is necessary uh, then to keep it through that renewal period? What are they looking for? You know, how often do you got to go through that process to check in and say, yep, still active. You know, mm -hmm. I'm Pepsi. I'm the Pepsi of whatever I'm doing is still going on. Sure. Um, what, what's what, what's that process like? Yeah. So currently the first um, renewal or main, they call it really a maintenance period uh, is the is the between the fifth and the sixth year of registration. So once you get your trademark issued, you really don't have to do anything for six years. Um, so you have so you have to you have to maintain the registration between the fifth and sixth year of registration, and that's that requires filing what's called a declaration of use, and that basically tells the trademark office that yes, I'm still using the trademark. Here's some proof of that, and then they will you know renew your you know or maintain your registration. The next period is really a renewal period. And that renewal period is between the ninth and the 10th year of registration. That renewal period, again, requires that you show use of the mark. You file what's called, a, again, a declaration of use um, and, um, and a request to renew the registration. And assuming it's accepted, then your registration doesn't need to be renewed again for another 10 years. So it's not really onerous or it's even not even all that expensive when you you know, divided by the number of years that the registration is active before you have to do anything. It's not even very expensive. Um, 
but you have to kind of remember to do it. Thankfully, the trademark office does send out reminders over email to tell you, hey, it's time. Um, if you have an attorney, then it's in their system. So we you know we send out reminders. Right. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's it's certainly not as onerous as some other types of law where you have to renew things every year um, or file annual reports on your corporation, things like that. So yeah, it's real. Um, it's actually really pretty simple. Simply for yeah. Cool. One of the things I heard something I I can't remember what I was listening to about somebody filing a very weird trademark thing, and I know the process that we'd went through when you were looking up business samurai, and we had to combine the name and the logo versus having them as two separate entities. I do remember remember that, but I came across I don't know if you can see it on your screen. Um, I trying I was trying to find the the recent one of what I heard on the radio, and it was so obscure. I'm like I'm sitting there going, how can you trademark that? That's how common the phrase was. But coming in during that research, I came across this website that was like T-Mobile has copyrighted the magenta color. And and I'm how how why or how how did they get away? How did those bigger companies get away with like copywriting colors? Is it very limited that like I can't be a telecommunications company selling cell phones and use magenta because they copyrighted not the name, but the color, like the hex color. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I, you know, what's the nuances when you start getting into splitting hairs with stuff like that? Yeah. Well, just, just to be clear, we're not talking about copyright. We're, all, we're only talking, this is trademark. So we're not, they didn't copyright the color, so okay. it's trademark. Um, but see, and this is me yeah. being stupid on how I'm even <laughs> asking the questions. So, well, thank you for, to, yeah. Yeah. I just want to clarify. So you're, you're right. You cannot copyright a color. That's not, that's not possible. Right. Now, what, 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 what you can do though is you can protect a color um, as a trademark for specific products or services. T-Mobile's magenta color is an example of this, right? People, now it's very hard to do, right? You have to be able to prove to the satisfaction of the trademark office that consumers associate this particular color with this particular product or service. Now that's very difficult to do, right? I mean, if you're just a small business, you, that'd be impossible for you to prove, right? But when sure. you have millions and millions of customers and you do surveys and you say, hey, if I show you this color, what what service does this remind you of? And they say T-Mobile. Well, that's very good evidence that this has now become a trademark. People associate this color with a very specific service or product from a very specific business. Another example of this is the Kodak Yellow. I know I'm dating myself here, but if you remember like the film boxes from yep. Kodak, they were all this like goldenrod. That was also a trademark of the Kodak company. Another example is the pink color of Owens Corning insulation, home insulation. That pink color, the Pink Panther insulation, yeah. that pink color is a trademark of the Owens Corning Corporation because people associate that pink color with that insulation and only that insulation. And so over over time, that became a trademark. One of the ones I found interesting on the screen was the term superhero. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it was a Marvel. It's DC or Marvel, I think. It's both. They oh, is it both? It. Yeah. Oh, is that what it is? That was, okay, that yeah. was what I, it was just, it happened to be on this. Again, I was not looking for mm-hmm. this specifically, but I found that to be interesting that Marvel and DC had trademarked the term uh, superhero, that's particularly sad. in this particular movie age that we're in. There. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's absolutely <laughs> true. And there are many other types of trademarks, in which I didn't touch on, but because they're, they're more rare, but like, for example, sound can be a trademark. A good example is on, the yeah. yeah the NBC chimes, ding ding ding. Certainly a trademark. I, if I, I I didn't even have to say NBC chimes, I could have gone ding ding ding, and you would have yep. known exactly what I was talking about. Um, or like the Red Robin, like Red Robin, yum. 
also a, the, a sound trademark. The Law and Order, the dumb was on the. Uh, yeah, <laughs> was one. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. Those. So those are those are trademarks. Also, scent can be a trademark. Now, this is very, very rare, exceedingly rare. But very recently, I'd say within the last two or three years, um, the company that manufactures um, Play-Doh, I think it's Hasbro, but don't quote me on that. Um, they were able to achieve a, a trademark registration for the scent of Play-Doh. And when you think about it, like you and I, we're not kids, John, right? And we probably haven't smelled Play-Doh in decades. I know I yeah. haven't. I don't have kids. Maybe you do. I don't know. But I haven't no. smelled, smelled Play-Doh in decades. Um, but I still know what Play-Doh smells like. If you put it, if you put something in front of yeah. me, you know, cover it up and I smelled it and it smelled like Play-Doh, I'd be able to tell you that was Play-Doh. <laughs> and so they were able to get a trademark register because people associate that scent with that wow. product. So it's a trademark. Is that, I guess then uh, perfume and cologne companies would do things of that nature. If you've got something that was you, you very could. distinct. You, you could it very but distinct. It's got to be very distinct. And, and but again, like with the, the problem with perfumes and colognes, right, is that people expect perfumes and colognes to smell a certain way, right? Sometimes flowery, sometimes spicy, whatever it might be, right? So it's harder right. to prove that you actually that a consumer actually associates a very specific scent with a very specific product. I think that's tougher to do. I'm not saying impossible, but when you have something like when you have something like Play-Doh, a clay. Well, clay doesn't usually have any scent. You know, it's like, it's, and if you do, it's like, you don't think of the scent as being a part of the product. Like it just happens to have a scent because that's the way it was manufactured and it just smells that way. Right. But that's not, but with Play-Doh, it's like people know what that scent is. Like you can open up the canister and be like, oh yeah, it's the Play-Doh scent, you know? <laughs> it's, so that's, it's a little bit different than for like colognes and perfumes because those are supposed to smell. Whereas clay, it's like, that's not the purpose of the product. Got it. Something that I had an issue with, this was a long time ago, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, now that you've corrected me a couple of times, I'm still confused a little bit between copyright, trademark. Well, do, do you want me to give the difference real quick? Yeah, please. Okay, so trademarks are names, logos, slogans, you know, smells, colors that are, that are used to advertise and sell products and services, right? They're used to distinguish between certain types of products and services. So for example, if you had two, uh, two dark bottles of cola on the store shelf and none of them had a label, you wouldn't know if you were buying Coca-Cola or Pepsi or Dr. Pepper or whatever. We need trademarks to identify products and okay. to distinguish between them, right? And services as well, right? You need to know, you know, when you go to a restaurant, it's got to have a sign on it or you don't know what restaurant you're eating at, right? It's got to say McDonald's or Burger King or Taco Bell, right? So you see all the fancy places I eat, right? So then, uh, so... So that's a trademark. It identifies the source of the product and service, and it helps consumers distinguish between products and services. Now, what's a copyright? Copyright protects original works of authorship. So, for example, books, movies, music, drawings, paintings, um, sound recordings, things that are original, um, Things that are more creative, though copyright doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be creative. But when you think about copyright, you kind of think of like original creative works. So, okay. And I guess this is, and I've seen on your website, but I guess explain the difference then of when you would use the TM versus the C in the circle. And I think that's why I, you know, I see, I guess once you get it mm -hmm. fully adjudicated, or I'm going to use the term adjudicated, but you can slap me on that one too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but you know, to start using the C versus the TM, can you explain a little bit of how that? Well, you're, you're, to, well, identi you're to identify it. Yeah. Well, you're crossing two different types of intellectual property, right? The circle C is for copyright. So when you write a okay. book, you might say on the in the inside cover, you're going to write like if you're the if you're the author of the book, if you're the copyright if you're the copyright owner of the book, you're going to write circle C. And then if I wrote it in 2022, I'm going to write 2022. And then I'm going to write Morris Turek. That's copyright okay. notice. It tells people who owns the copyright in the book. Okay. When you watch a movie at the end of the credits, the credits, it always says copyright whoever, Sony Pictures, right? That tells you who owns the copyright in the movie. Now, the TM is a symbol that you may choose to use in connection with your trademark. So, um, for example, if I open up a restaurant called ABC Restaurant, I could put a little TM next to ABC Restaurant, regardless of whether it's registered federally as a trademark or not. I can use the TM. If you have a federally registered trademark, um, so let's say I federally register ABC restaurant with the, with the USPTO, then I can use the circle R symbol, the R in the circle. Okay. So copyright's a C in a circle, trademark is R in a R. circle. Gotcha. I'll save my story then because the issue I had years ago was a copyright issue uh, on photos that does not apply necessarily to this now that I know the differences. <laughs> <laughs> Glad I could clear it up. Yeah, no, yeah. thank you. That that helps because sometimes I can be slow and dense on certain things. <laughs> <laughs> That's very confusing. In fact, it it doesn't help when you you know you hear you're on the you know you listen to the news and they they use these they, terms patent, trademark, copyright. They just use them interchangeably, like it, right. as if they're the same thing. And it's very it's very confusing. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's they're very different. They protect different things. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know it's it's important to know the differences um, with these things. Once once you've got it, you 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 know you you've got it approved. Everything's in the system, right? And let's say you have built up. Let's say you have built up your brand to be at a significant point where you're you're going out there to make sure there's no infringement. How how do you do? How do you maintain that knowledge of somebody is doing something they're not supposed to with it? Well, when you're a big, when you're a big brand, you know, you, you know, you, the, let's say you're the Nike of the world, right? Mm -hmm. The Google of the world, the Amazons of the world, you know, they, they have teams of attorneys that um, hire these trademark monitoring and trademark watch services that basically scour not only the trademark office's records, but also uses throughout the internet. They, they have these tools that basically will try to find infringements and then, you know, if as the trademark owner, you can address those infringements. Now, if you're a big company with tons of money uh, and tons of attorneys, well, okay, you can you can do that all day. You know, when you're a smaller when you're a smaller outfit, um, it, it, it's not expensive to monitor to have a, a monitoring service. But the question is, what then do you do with that information? Let's say the monitoring service finds a few infringements of your of your mark. Okay, well, you're a small fry. Do you have the money to actually pursue this? Do you have the money to go to court? Uh, a lot of my, I know I tell you, a lot of my clients don't, and I represent very small and startup businesses. So it's like, it's one thing to have the knowledge of the infringement, but then what do you do with that? Mm -hmm. um, I generally, I, I, I don't believe, I, and some attorneys might disagree with me, especially ones that represent larger businesses, but I, I don't think it's a great idea to just go seeking out infringements. I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. What I do think makes sense is 
if you run into one, like for example, a customer comes to you and says, hey, uh, did you know that somebody's using this mark? Like, and it's, it's very similar to yours and it's, and I thought it might've been you. That shows that there was maybe some confusion, right? And that's when you might want to look into that and maybe take some action because it was brought to your attention. But to just go seek these things out, just to be sending cease and desist letters and getting getting into litigation doesn't seem to me to make a lot of sense. Is there fair use with some of these ones, particularly with the bigger ones, where if you're doing news stories or mm -hmm. things of that nature, where you can actually use them without facing consequences? Yeah, absolutely. There's fair use, both in copyright and trademark. But yeah, absolutely. Like if you're reporting on something about, say, Nike shoes, you have every right to use the term Nike to describe those shoes, to refer to those shoes. It's what we call a nominative fair use. Um, and there are other fair uses, you know, parody, satire, things things of that nature that you can um, use, use trademarks to, you know, make a point. Um, those are not really the, those don't tend to be the infringements that businesses, especially even like larger brands care about as much. Like, yeah, they may not be happy with a satire or parody, but you know, they're not going to attempt to really stop you. You know, really they're more concerned about these things, especially like if you're like the Nikes of the world, like counterfeit products coming into the USA with the Nike swoosh sure. on it, you know, that's what they want to stop. You know, you know, even, even though these big companies, they have limitless resources. I think they do tend to pick and choose their battles um, especially in the internet age where it's just whack-a-mole, uh, you know, you try to stop one thing and another thing pops up. Um, so I think it's made them more, I think the internet has made them have to choose, pick and choose their battles a little bit more than they, maybe they used to. So <laughs> yeah, cause they, no. they'd, they'd spend all their, they'd spend every day, all day, just trying to crack down and it's never going to work. I, I've seen a mix of this. And again, there, there's going to be bleed over between some trademark with the brand as well as uh, copyright with uh, what I see on YouTube, mm -hmm. where what I see some creators complain about getting dinged on for fair use. And then I'm watching another one upload an entire movie trailer to their channel and it's got a million views, but the guy that's got 10% of that is constantly getting the, you know, the demonetization. So are they picking chooser, picking winners and losers in that battle? I've, I've yeah. tried to reach out. I actually want to talk to some of, some of them from a business standpoint on, on how that functions. But it just felt, it feels like the, some of those companies on that enforcement front are picking winners and losers in that category because they don't like them or not. I don't yeah. know. You might, you might be right. You know, I, I, I get my, it, and that happens, but that's more on the copyright side than the trademark right. side. Yes, correct. Yeah, which I don't, I, again, I do some copyright work, but you know, the vast majority of my practice is trademark. Um, the bigger problem in the trademark arena right now are people who <clears throat> register trademarks with the trademark office. And maybe these trademark registrations are questionable at best, okay, and downright fraudulent at worst. Um, and then they use these registrations in an unfair manner to take down their competitors on Amazon and Etsy and other selling platforms, which then, you know, so then, so then they're, you know, they're clearing their competition, right? And what's, what's bad about it is that the, the victim, what I'll call the, the victim, um, whose stuff was taken down, these platforms, like it's impossible to get it back up without the, um, without the person who um, sent the takedown notice, without their consent, without their permission to put it back up. It's almost like guilty until proven innocent. And I, I mean, I kind of get it. Like 
these these companies don't want to be arbiters of IP disputes. And really, should they be? No, that's why we have courts to to you know. And if I was if I was running like Amazon or you know, Etsy or and and some of these other eBay things like that, I um I wouldn't just take down a a, a listing because somebody showed me a trademark registration, you know. I would at least give the other side a opportunity to respond before taking it down. But these, but these, these, these platforms, they're so crazy. They're so crazy. And then it's, 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 and then it's because I represent some bigger Amazon sellers (laughs) and I've had times when like somebody with a fraudulent, literally a fraudulent registration has taken their stuff down and they have had so much trouble getting their stuff back up. Luckily, some of my clients are such big Amazon sellers that they have some, you know, they got some pull. <laughs> they got some pull, and they know who to talk to at Amazon. Sure, and they can get these things resolved. But your average person, oh my God, it's like it's like the Wild West. It's like the Wild West. And bring- and, and, and it was funny. And if I just say one thing, these yeah. these places like Amazon and Etsy, they but they some some for some reason believe that just because you have a trademark registration means that you have some legitimate trademark rights. I mean that isn't the case. Trademark registrations are obtained fraudulently all the time. There's false and misleading information in trademark registrations all the time. It's also possible that someone who got the trademark registration actually achieved it after somebody had been using it, right? Let's say I've been using a trademark for 20 years and I never registered it, right, with the federal trademark, with the trademark office. And then somebody else gets a trademark registration for the same name for similar products or services. I was first. I was first. And now you're taking me down? But the, but these platforms like Amazon, they don't care. They don't even consider it. They just take down your listing, and then it's up to you to figure out what to do. Gotcha. Is there is there something if somebody's starting starting out and they're kind of going, "What's out there? I want to be creative. I want to come up with something." Is there an easy way for them to start doing some pre research if they know they want to go down the legal route and not kind of catch get themselves in trouble? Yeah, I mean, they can go on the trademark office's website. They have a search, a very basic search system called Tess, and they can type in a word or a phrase and kind of see what what comes up, see if they see any conflicts. Now, again, you kind of have to understand what you're looking at. I mean, this is the problem, right? It, you know, you can you might get a list of 100 marks, right? And you could go through each of the trademark applications or registrations and see, you know, kind of what it says. But unless you unless you are familiar with trademark registration, a lot of the information in these registrations and applications aren't going to isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to you. Uh, it would be like putting, you know, it's like it would be like putting like a, a book of Chinese in front of me and saying, hey, you know, interpret this, you know, well, I can't read Chinese, so I'm not gonna be able to do that. Um, so the better option is to have an attorney do a search um, on whatever it is that they want to use. And then that attorney can give you an you know, can do the search and then give you an opinion as to whether there are any conflicts or issues with using and or trying to register that trademark with the, with the USPTO. Awesome. And now, if somebody reaches out, is there is there is there like a preferred list of things that you would prefer that they have together that to give you right off the gate? Is there stuff that may you know that annoys you that somebody comes in and says, "Hey, I've done these things," and you're like, "Why did you do all of this stuff? <laughs> you made my job harder." Uh, how, how do you prefer to new clients to approach you with the process well, to make it 
as simple as possible. Yeah. Well, I think the internet has been very good and very bad. Um, so, you know, so where's the wisdom? Yeah. Yeah. So everybody, you know, you know, doctors must feel this way too, right? When the patients come in sure. and say, man, I was web MDing this and I know I have uh, some rare some rare disease out of uh, Africa, you know, I must have it, you know, cause I have all these symptoms and the doctor's like, you have a cold. So it's, <laughs> so it's, um, so it's, and, and, but is it great that people can research and learn on the internet? Absolutely. If that's, that's wonderful. The same is true for trademark. There's a lot of information out there. My website is chock full of information about trademarks um, and, and the trademark registration um, process. But, when people come to you and they they've done all this research, you know, and they believe that they understand what's going on, nine times out of ten they really don't. They don't understand the obviously they don't understand the nuances because you know unless you do unless you're an attorney and you do this all the time you don't really understand the nuances. But they also don't always understand the basics. I don't expect them to to know the basics. They don't even have they don't need to know anything about trademarks when they con- contact me. I can educate them. It doesn't take me very long to do that. But the problem, <laughs> no comment. Uh, but, the, no. but the problem, the problem is that people come to you and they think they know, and then they you say, and then you say something like, "Well, it's great that you did this research, and it's great that you used tests, and you didn't apparently find any conflicts. Great. Um, I recommend now that we take the next step and do a more comprehensive search to make sure that there are no conflicts or issues." And then they say. No, 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 it's fine. I did my search. I did my research. It's all good. And you try to explain to them, well, yes, you did your search, but that's a comp, that's a cursory search. That's a rudimentary search. You try to explain it to them. Um, but sometimes they, they feel like they've done everything they needed to do. Okay, well, you're not going to convince some people. Fine. You know, the people who come to me are the people, the people I like the most, the people that are easiest to work with are the people who are open-minded, people who have maybe done like a little bit of research and kind of gotten interested, but they have questions. Of course, you're going to have questions. Um, they're willing to listen. Um, they're willing to be open and honest about what they want to do. Sometimes people come to me and they want to be a little shady. They want to try to do something maybe a little shady, uh, which is fine. You know, maybe maybe we can do something shady. You know, we gotta 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 look into it. Uh, but then they feel like maybe even like a little embarrassed talking about it, uh, especially if their product or service may be a little uh, risque. That's possible. So, um, but yeah, the the. Oh. Yeah, so the people who the people who come to me that I think we have the most success with are the people who have done maybe a little bit of research, have an open mind, and are ready and are willing to be open and honest with me about what they're wanting to accomplish. Awesome! You actually uh, triggered a couple things um, uh, as you were talking. One of the ways I get around the WebMD conversation is I uh, actually will say, "Hey, listen, I read the medical journal from Johns Hopkins." <laughs> That usually goes a little better than WebMD. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but <laughs> I don't yeah. know if there's a I don't know if there's a, a high research for the trademark uh, or a WebMD version of a trademark. But uh, jokes aside, you trigger something on um, things that may be risque. Uh, I got a buddy of mine. State of Virginia is starting to loosen its rules around cannabis and the use of that. Are there any, and I can use that as an example because each state is different and of course federal is still completely illegal. Are there things that prevent you in those type of industries where state and federal law don't match up that you got to be on the lookout for when you do your research or do you just got to stay hands off completely? Yeah, this is actually a huge issue right now with the CBD and cannabis industry Mm -hmm. um, with trademarks. So the rule from a federal standpoint is 
that you cannot register a trademark for any product or any service that is illegal under federal law. Okay? Okay. Now, that would not prevent you from registering the same trademark for the same federally illegal product or service at the state level. Every state has their own trademark registry. So if you wanted to register your trademark, and let's say your trademark is used to sell cannabis or cannabis-related products, mm-hmm. and you and you did that in California where it's legal, okay, you could register your trademark in the state of California, and you would have whatever rights a state, a California state trademark registration provides you. Okay, you will have no rights at the federal level, zero, because it's an illegal product. Now, the question, though, is what what is illegal? And a lot of people don't even know what's illegal because the federal government isn't enforcing federal law. Right. If, if, okay. if, if the federal government was enforcing federal law, there'd be no cannabis dispensaries anywhere and anywhere in the United States. Right. It'd all be sure. shut down. It's technically illegal, and anything that's illegal under federal law is cannot be legal under state law, right? It's the supremacy clause of the Constitution, right? So, a lot of people here's a really this is a really um, this is a very very common one that I've run into I run into once a month. People want to register vitamins and supplements that have CBD in it. Mm-hmm. Technically, anything ingestible—food, drink, supplement, pet products is technically illegal under federal law if it contains CBD. Okay. Because it violates what's called the FDCA Act, the Federal Drug and Cosmetics Act. Um, te- right now. Now, is that going to eventually change? Yes, it's eventually going to change. But technically, it's illegal. Now, would you know it's illegal? Of course not. You go to every, you go to the biggest stores in the world, Walmart, and you can buy supplements with CBD in it. Yeah. Right? You can buy drinks with CBD in it. No one's enforcing this. Zero. There's zero enforcement but it's technically illegal. So, so you cannot register a trademark for a supplement or a food product or a beverage product that contains CBD. Now, you can register a tra- the same trademark if it was used in connection with a topical product that contains <laughs> CBD. So it's a lotion that contains CBD, perfectly legal. You can register it. I'm going to go tell a buddy of mine he has the only gourmet popcorn with CBD in it in the United States, to our knowledge. Really? I was talking to him about it yesterday. Um, and I'm going to say, all right, you're going to, you know, you, you may be on the good jump of something here, but you can't do anything with it yet. Yeah, yeah, you can't <laughs> register the trademark. Now, what's, yeah. a, what's a way of getting around this? Well, registering at the state level is a way of getting around it if the product's legal in the state. Another way of getting around it to try to get some initial protections while the federal law is going to be because eventually, obviously, marijuana is going to be legal under federal law. You know, CBD, this is all going to be legal eventually. Right. So one way to kind of do this is to file a trademark application for the name that you use for your illegal product. Right. And you register it for something else that is legal that you're providing. One thing that's very easy to do is like start a YouTube channel under this name and just put out videos about your CBD popcorn. Right. And, oh, and then we're going, and then we're going to register the trademark for providing online videos in the field of popcorn. <laughs> and then you've now got a registration registration for this name for videos in the field of popcorn. And then when the, when the law changes, then you can file a trademark application for that name for popcorn, for CBD popcorn. And it's probably going to go through just fine. It also prevents others from registering a similar name while we're waiting for the law to change. Awesome. 
Okay, I got some phone calls to make later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, maybe I mean, somebody just, to send your way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you just do something silly, like start a blog about popcorn. I mean, literally yeah. any anything that would be easy to do that's legal, that has some yeah. relationship to your product. That's crazy. Yeah, start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like literally huh. anything, like literally right. anything. Sell some clothing with that name on it. Whatever. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh man. Well, hey, this is this has been fascinating. This has been awesome and and getting me uh to get uh corrected in my head between the differences of some of these things that even now years later I'm still confused on clearly. <laughs> uh, what what's the what's the best way for uh, people to reach out, connect? You got social social media to follow on? Yeah, I do. You can just look me up if you just type in Morris Turek on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, um LinkedIn. I'm you there. TikTok you can... dancing. <laughs> I have one video of me dancing. It's not pretty, but uh, it's there. Uh, so I, yeah, I just recently started TikTok, which is kind of fun. It's, it's you know, mm-hmm. it's like you know, I'm probably too old for it, but it's fine. Um, and then, um, and then obviously, um, uh, you can connect with me, uh, you know, by calling me. My number is three one four seven four nine four zero five nine, and my email address is morris at yourtrademarkattorney.com. Awesome. And like I said, as, uh, as it stands now, you are number four or five on the Google first page, but just all you even have to do is just Google trademark attorney as the keyword and you popped up on the first. Well, page. it's good to hear. I, I don't, yeah. I don't check, I don't check my rankings all that often, but I, that's good to hear. Well, I, yes. I wonder if I, I wonder if I'm ranking like that uh, in other parts of the country or is it just like in the St. Louis area? Not sure. Well, they, 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 Google's changed some stuff around. They've front loaded it with ads at the top mm-hmm. uh, more so than it used to be. I've noticed it and I've seen other tech guys talk about it as well, but you're definitely in the organic searches on page one. Hey. On the most important keyword, probably for your entire business. <laughs> hey, can't complain about that. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. I appreciate the time. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a really good time.